Good morning and happy Boxing Day to you. Today is the last Sunday of 2021, so thank you for joining us today. Really looking forward to going into it. Uh, before we do though, um, because it's the last Sunday of 2021, I just want to remind you there that this is the uh, final week that we have to um, make a charitable donation to King Street Community Church and all of our outreaches that we're doing. So, you know, you can make your donation today. There's a link to the giving um, description in, in the box. And you can also make your donation on our website and you have until December 31st at 11.59 p.m. Uh, don't leave it to the very last minute um, if you want your charitable giving to be recorded for 2021. You can also give through your online banking, uh, in which case you should do it soon because it does take a couple days for it to arrive. So just that reminder there for you. And you know, today, if you've been traveling with us and following us both in person and online, you'll know that leading into the Advent season, we had a scripture talk series um, that said that was about do life differently. That was what it was titled. And uh, then in the four weeks of Advent, um, we went into our Stay Strong series. And um, in the new year, we're actually going to go back to our um, Do Life Differently series in, in January. But, but here we are on this Sunday, and we're kind of in the middle, right? We are post-Christmas and uh, post the Advent season, and you know, but we're not quite into the new year. And so this one is going to be like a standalone talk. And this one, I'm calling it just as it is, you know, stuck in between, stuck in the in-between. And today we're going to look at a passage from Acts chapter 1. And we're going to kind of discover what God might be saying to us in this in-between season that we're in. And, you know, um, in Acts chapter 1, the writer of Acts is Luke. And if you're familiar with Luke, Luke, the first book he wrote was the Gospel of Luke. And um, now he's, write, he's written another book, and it's the Acts of the Apostles. And in his first book, his first book was all about what Jesus taught um, us to do and everything that um, he did through his miracles, his ministry. Um, it records his, his death on the cross for all believers and it records his resurrection. That's how it kind of ends um, at the end of Luke chapter 24. And then the beginning of Luke's second book, Acts, the first chapter, it's like a parallel of what's going on in Luke 24, because he says, you know what, in my first book, this is what Jesus did. And in the second book, I'm going to tell you what Jesus continued to do through, um, through the church and through his Holy Spirit. But it's a parallel because it, it ends with Jesus' direct, uh, resurrection in Luke 24 and begins with his resurrection in Acts chapter 1. And, you know, he dedicates this book to a, a man named Theophilus. And um, this Theophilus, he might have been a person of high esteem or high regard. Sometimes some people think um, that Theophilus was just kind of this maybe pseudonym for um, all the believers because Theophilus actually means lover of God. But I, I do think he, he was writing to a specific person to tell him the story. So we're going to look at this. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. And we're going to go all the way through verses 11 today. So the Gospel of Luke begins this way. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. That's the Gospel of Luke. Until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, Luke says, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. 
He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So this is Jesus coming back to life after dying. And he appeared to many people over 40 days. On one occasion, uh, Luke says, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is how Luke begins his second book. And it, it is amazing because this is Jesus, you know, post the cross. He has resurrected. He's come back in visibly and bodily form, right? And Luke is writing about one of these accounts where he's actually speaking to his disciples. And the disciples don't realize at that moment that he's speaking, this is going to be the last time they're going to see him on earth in bodily form until he comes again, right? So Jesus, he, he uh, so this is what Luke is talking about. And Luke's also, you know, referencing, he was the one that referenced that the very first time that Jesus came back to life, the disciples didn't believe him. There were the women there who went and they did believe. They went to the tomb, they didn't see Jesus and they came back to tell some of the others and they didn't really believe them. And, you know, Jesus though, he gives all these convincing proofs to increase the disciples' faith. Jesus, as Luke noted there, he appeared over 40 days after he had died and was resurrected. So over a 40 day period, Jesus actually appeared to over 500 people on 12 different occasions that we have recorded. That is amazing, right? That he showed to many people that he was alive. He was in fact the Messiah. These people, they saw him, they heard him, they spoke with him, they watched him eat, right? You can only eat if you have a physical body. And they ate alongside him, right? Many of these people actually touched him. To, they, they could actually just to tell that, oh, it was really him. You were here in the flesh, Jesus. So Jesus does all these things to give and to increase the disciples' faith because they have a big mission ahead of them. And the interesting thing about it too is that Jesus, he appeared to the believers as we just talked about, but he also appeared to non-believers. He appeared to his half-brother James who was non-believing until the moment he saw Jesus resurrected, then he realized. And most notably, he appeared to a man named Saul of Tarsus. And Saul was this person who was persecuting the church and he was driving the Christians away until Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And, you know, so he appeared, Jesus appeared both to believers and to people who are non-believers who didn't believe in him to show that this really happened. And so we can have confidence. Um, there's lots of document documentation about the resurrection of Jesus, not only through the scriptural accounts, but even other authorities and people who are not believers. They, they documented this, that there was a man named Jesus who he, he died, he rose again, and his believers believed that to the utmost, and people were witness to it. So this is where the disciples find themselves. And, um, you know, Jesus is saying that, you know, um, he gives them this command to wait for the gift um, that the Father had promised. And so they're told here in this in-between time that we have to wait a little bit. Wait in Jerusalem until you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, to be baptized by the Holy Spirit is really to be empowered, to be equipped to do good ministry and to do good works for the glory of God. And so, you know, we see all this in the book of Acts. We see normal, everyday men and women acting in supernatural ways, being empowered supernaturally to minister and to do good works. Let's pick it up here in verse 6. 
they gathered around him. This is the disciples. They gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so what's happening here? Like I said, the disciples, they don't know this is the last time they're gonna see Jesus, but Jesus is telling them, and they, they asked Jesus, first of all, they said, hey, you know, Lord, you're, you're back to life again. Is this the moment that we've been hoping for? Is this the moment where the Messiah has come, the Savior is here, and we're gonna overthrow Roman rule? You know, if you're a, a Jewish person in ancient times, you were under an oppressive Roman rule, a Roman culture, and but you look to the Torah, to the Old Testament scriptures, to say that, you know what, one day God is actually gonna bring salvation, bring freedom to your people. One day the kingdom of Jerusalem will be restored, right? And one day the Jewish people will not be under this impression. And they're thinking, Lord, they're thinking to God, this is the time that's going to happen. So they look to Jesus and they say, Jesus is now the moment. Are you gonna overthrow the Roman rule? And Jesus says to them, he, he, he understands what they're saying and their expectations. But he says to them gently, he says, it's not up to you to know all the details of what's to come. He said, the father in his own authority has determined all those things. And it's not up to you to know those details. So pause right there. Imagine you are this, you know, Jewish follower of Jesus Christ. And you're seeing this miracle take place. And you're thinking, this is the moment that you're going to be saved. Your people are going to be saved. And then the Messiah tells you, no, not not for you to know and not in the way they expect. See, they're expecting the Messiah to be this person of political force and military power who's just going to break down the Roman rulership. And Jesus says, no, not yet. He says, actually, you will receive power. I will give you power, but it's gonna be a different type of power. It's gonna be a power that helps you to witness about me and to spread the good news about me. The disciples here, they had some unmet expectations. This is not what they expected at all. And you know what? Unmet expectations, they can really set us up uh, sometimes for some disappointment. For, for these disciples, right, they, um, they would have been actually kind of hurt to, to find out, oh, this is not what we're expecting. But imagine the other scenario. What if Jesus were to tell them, you know what? Not only is it not happening now, but it's not gonna happen for at least another 2,000 years. It's gonna be over 2,000 years till the kingdom of God is restored here on earth. What would they think then? That would be more than disappointing. That would be disheartening. Um, they would probably, uh, some of them might even lose hope. They would lose their, their vigor to spread the good news of the gospel. Some of them might even walk away from Jesus that they knew that this wasn't gonna be gonna happen for many years to come. So Jesus didn't tell them the details. And you know, isn't that like, um, isn't that like life for us sometimes? Right now we're in this in-between period where we have hopes and expectations and we have um, things that we're desiring and we're not quite there, we're not seeing it. So here's the period that we find ourselves in. We're actually stuck in the in-between, right? Like I said before, it's post-Christmas, and, but it's pre-New Year. 
And, you know, we just celebrated this Christmas time and hopefully there was a lot of joy and peace in that. But there might have been some reminders of maybe heartache and challenge. Um, there, there, it's a new year, which we kind of hope a lot of, there's a lot of hope sometimes for many of us in a new year that this year will be better than the last. And, um, you know, for many of us, we thought that this Christmas and this new year would be different from last year because, you know, some of us, a lot of us may have thought the pandemic was over or it was getting to that point. And now there might be a little disappointment because we're kind of stuck in the middle. So here we are finding ourselves as these people who are stuck in the in-between, kind of similar to how the disciples were. We might have had high expectations and we might be a little disappointed in this moment. But what we can be reminded of is that even when life doesn't go the way that we expect it to, God's plans, they're unaffected. Even when we're surprised about what happens, God isn't surprised. And we can know that he's with us and we actually don't need to fear. That's in, there's in Deuteronomy 38 and that's all throughout the Bible. But let's look a little bit more, uh, uh, a little bit deeper, these unmet ex expectations and how they can cause turmoil and how they can even risk us missing out on a blessing. Let's go to this gentleman by the name of Naaman in the Older Testament. And this is in the second Kings chapter five. Um, verse one says this, now Naaman was a commander of the army, army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. Naaman, he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Verse one, let's just leave it there. Naaman had leprosy. He's successful. He is in a high position. He's doing all these great things for the king that he served, but he had leprosy. He had this sickness that he couldn't prevent. He had nothing he couldn't control, right? And the text goes on to say that, you know, because of his leprosy and the things that he struggled, one of his wife's servants actually said to him, you know, you should go to, um, you should actually go to visit this man of God named Elisha. And you should actually go to him because he serves God. And I think that he can cure your leprosy. Right, so Naaman asks his king that he serves to see if he can visit the king of Israel and see if he can find this man of God named Elisha. And you know, um, Elisha, Naaman goes to see Elijah and he gets something that he doesn't expect. He doesn't get the reception that he was hoping for. So let's pick it up here in, in uh, verse nine. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Naaman's going to his house there. Elisha sent a messenger. So Elisha doesn't answer the door to see Naaman. Elisha just sends someone over there to see Naaman. He knew that Naaman was actually on the way. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Okay. But Naaman went away angry and he said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God. I thought he'd wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Naaman says, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the, all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So Naaman turned and went off in a rage. Okay, so here's what happened. Naaman is going to see Elisha. He's hoping, he has expectations that he can be healed. He's been told this and he thinks the God of Israel can do that and can do that through this man of God, Elisha. 
Elisha knows names on the way, but he doesn't even answer the door. He doesn't even talk to him. He sends one of the messengers to him to say, Naaman said, or sorry, Elisha said, why don't you just go over there in the Jordan Ripper and jump in there seven times? Imagine if you're Naaman, you're thinking, what is this guy talking about? He wants me to, to, to go dip myself in this, um, in this dirty little pond seven times. He says, all the, the waters of Damascus are much better. They're much nicer than any of the waters in, in Israel. And Naaman is just, he's so upset by this. He says, I'm expecting Elijah to come over there to have a, an amazing, powerful prayer to speak over me, to, to you know, put his hand over the spot and for me to be healed instantly. So Naaman is notably upset. It, Elijah's actions didn't meet Naaman's expectations. And isn't that the way it is for us? You know, um, I, I talked earlier about that half-brother of Jesus, James, and he says it in, in the book, in the epistle that he wrote. He says this in, in James chapter 4. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. Those are good words, right? He's saying the source of all these a lot of our turmoil or a lot of our conflicts and our fights is because of our unmet expectations. We want something that we don't have. And then next thing you know, it's creating all these troubles. And think about it. Think about all, all the, the problems that we can find ourselves easily because of our unmet expectations. You know, if you're a teenager, you're probably sometimes thinking, you know, I wish my parents would just give me a little slack a little bit, right? They don't know what I'm going through at school. They don't know what it's like to be a student in a pandemic, in a time that they've just never experienced before. I wish they'd give me a little slack sometimes. You might want them to get off your back, right? You know, if you're the parent of a teenager though, you, you might also sometimes expect your teenager not to talk back, right? My, my almost two-year-old, you know, she's not even quite two yet. She has, um, one of her new favorite words is, is no, right? And I'm hearing it a lot um, at bedtime. I'm saying it's time to go to bed. And she's saying, no, no. And that's one of her favorite words now that she is kind of developing in her vocabulary, right? And I don't have teenagers, right? And they probably don't say it in as cute of a voice when they are maybe talking back. But, but it doesn't end there, right? We think of, think of the newly married or newly engaged couple, right? You know, she might be expecting him to be gentle and kind in every single thing that he says. And he might be expecting her to be respectful and soft in everything that she says. And sometimes it doesn't go that way and it can cause trouble, right? What about if you're the, the parent of a, of a young adult who is maybe making some different life choices? You expected them to kind of follow along in your path and all of a sudden they're choosing a way different career path and maybe a different, you know, um, life lived that you didn't expect them to. And not necessarily a bad thing, but just so that it's different, right? Um, what about the, the grandparent that's, you know, wished their grandchildren would um, call a little bit more? You're thinking that, that I would expect them to do that, right? All of these things, all of these things that we want that we don't have, they can cause a lot of trouble. And so, you know, we look at this and you say, sometimes there's even unmet expectations due to circumstances, right? Naaman, as we said before, he was, uh, he was sick. He had this disease, leprosy. And 
sometimes life is like that, right? There are things that come along us that we don't expect. We can lose a loved one. We can lose a job. Uh, we can be, you know, um, uh, divorced or separated, you know, from our spouse. All of these things can happen in our life and not at all what we would expect them to do. You might feel like, you know, at this age in your life, you thought you're going to be at a certain level in your career or um, uh, however you define success, you, you thought you already would have attained that by now. Or maybe you thought you'd have been married by now or had kids by now. Whatever it may be, there are things that we want that we don't have. And sometimes these circumstances can actually really set us up. And here's one of the negative things that they can set us up for. They can actually set us up to miss out on, on blessing, right? And that's what almost happened here to Naaman. So we're, we're in the in-between phase. And the in-between is, is the toughest situation, right? This is the hardest situation. The in-between is a period where uh, the doubt is so loud that it's deafening. And the in-between is where God's voice is quiet. We have to really seek out his voice. The in-between is this time period where lies seem like truth and the truth is unbelievable, right? In the midst of maybe this pandemic and some unmet needs, you might start to think, man, did, is any of this even true? Like, did, did Jesus actually die and rise again? Did he actually do it, right? We might start to take truth and not to believe it. We might start to think, you know, the lies that uh, we can have kind of given to us from, from the enemy of our souls that, you know, you're, you're not good or you're not worthy and no, you'll never have that thing you want. You'll never have that relationship you desire or that job that you think you're good at. It'll just never, people will never recognize you. You might start to believe some of these lies that the enemy of our souls can place to kind of discourage us. So this is the truth of where we are, right? I think of um, not just Naaman, but there's also, um, there's also this man named Joseph in the Older Testament. And, you know, he went through... Uh, you know, a unique, unique life. But one of the morals of, uh, or one of the morals of the story of his life was he was actually imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit. And um, he wasn't able to get out in the time that he had hoped. But he went through all these things and the circumstances that he didn't want. And he eventually got to the point where he could say, you know what, all these things that were meant to harm me, God actually meant them for good. That through what he experienced, many people could be saved. And so there is something in that. Now, going back to Naaman's story, you know, we, we might be, um, Naaman, his story actually has a really good ending. You know, it turns out he gets encouraged by some of his servants to say, you should listen to the man of God. If he told you to do this really crazy idea, you probably would have done it. But because he told you to do something that was just kind of seemed a little bit odd, like dip in the pool seven times, um, you didn't do it, so you should do it. Naaman actually, he changes his mind, he does it, and he's healed of his leprosy. The point is this, you might be like Naaman. Maybe that thing that we desired, um, we actually get, right? Maybe we get that healing. Maybe we get that, um, that change in a, in, in, in a spouse's behavior or something, and that might happen. Or you could be like Joseph, who it actually didn't really work out the way that Joseph intended. And he recognized, but he still did recognize that God was with him throughout every step of the way. The whole point of the story is, though, I, I love what Dr. Michael Yusuf said. He says that there's a miracle in obedience. There's provision in submission. 
And he says, there's healing in yielding. Something about letting go and let God take control of our life because he's good, because we can trust him. There's actually a healing in that. So you might be Joseph, you might be Naaman, but we can still come to a good place. Okay, so let's end with this. You know, what do we do when we're actually stuck in the in-between? All right, let's go back to the disciples and their last time seeing Jesus um, in person. So in, in verse nine, in Acts chapter one, it says, after Jesus said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men, these are really two angels. And it says two men dressed in white stood beside them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Okay, here again, it's this miraculous moment where the disciples actually witness Jesus' ascension into heaven. They seem taken up into a cloud and he's being brought to heaven. It's, you know, this cloud is the presence of God, which we've seen in the Old Testament. And it's the same cloud then. It wasn't a moment where Jesus had appeared to them and disappeared in the moment. This was a different moment. They recognize he's going straight to heaven. And they see him. And these angels say, what are you doing? Just staring in the sky. Like, get out there and do something. There's something we can learn from that. The early church, they were stuck in the in-between like us, in between Jesus' first and his second coming, in between his resurrection and his triumphal return. But what they did is they witnessed, right? Christian witness is the book of Acts, right? You know, you know the thing that's... Um, you know the thing about being stuck in the in-between? There's all these challenges, right? Of these unmet expectations that I, that I just mentioned. But there's an immense amount of potential to make things better. We are in a time of human history unlike any other. And we have the opportunity to witness to the glory of God. We can make things tremendously better. Look at what the, um, the Old Testament church did. The, the, or sorry, the, the first century church did in the book of Acts, right? They recognized the awe and the wonder of God. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the good news of Jesus Christ. They were planting churches. They were growing healthy, um, disciple-making communities, making people healthier. They were sharing all of their goods so that everyone had eat, everyone had a place to stay. They were going around making things better. Here we are in a time of human history that we can actually we can add value to people's lives. We can share the gospel. We can make room for the family of God to grow and expand. We can actually do things like prevent and, and stop um, trafficking and slavery in our region. We can do things like making sure people in our city in our region um, have food to eat, have material goods. We can encourage people with the good news of Jesus that yes, he died, he resurrected, and he has life eternal is only found in him. We can invite people who are struggling with mental and emotional and relational problems, and we can give them good truths. We can support people in their grief and their loss, right? This is the potential of being stuck in the in-between. It's all about being, doing ministry. We act. So this is what the New Testament church did, right? The book of Acts, you know, it said it's still being written not in a scriptural authoritative sense, not in a scriptural authoritative sense, but in the sense that um, 
God is still working through the church, through his people, um, by the Holy Spirit to empower, to bless people and to serve the world and to point people to a God who speaks goodness and love over them, even in these in-between very difficult moments. So today, I want to encourage you. Um, the way things are in our world, they don't have to be. And we have the opportunity to spread the good news. So let's do that to our best of our ability. Let me just quickly pray for you. Lord, we just ask here, God, that you can, Lord, that you can strengthen us. Lord, that you can meet us right where we are in the in-between. We don't know the details of what's to come in the future, but Lord, help us to be a good witness to you, to witness about your goodness, your love, your mercy. Help us to share the good news, Lord, of Jesus Christ, that you came, you died, you rose again, and help us to meet the needs of those around us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.